everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Justin Bizarro. You can find Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Justin and the Food Entrepreneur's. And you can find our new podcast, The Centurion Leadership Battalion. Uh, we're about four episodes into that. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook as well, at Centurion Leadership Battalion. Uh, And you can find that podcast on iTunes, uh, Podbean, and Spotify right now. Uh, We are not yet on Google Play. We are waiting for to be approved on that. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for all the questions about the summit. I'm still getting a lot of DMs related to the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit, June 3rd and 4th in Milledgeville, Georgia. We are still planning on having it. Um, again, tickets are free. Go to Eventbrite. There's a link in Justin the Food Entrepreneur's podcast Instagram site. You can click on the link and you can get your free Eventbrite tickets there. Um, if we end up not having it in person, those tickets will get you access to the live show that we will do through Facebook and YouTube. So, that is the plan, is we will still do the motivational speakers from 8 to 12 on the 3rd and 8 to 12 on the 4th. Uh, we'll, so we'll have two days of four hours of live content, motivational speakers, uh, conversations related food and beverage, uh, entrepreneurs that we feel will be beneficial to you guys. So please still sign up for your tickets. They are free on Eventbrite. Um, that is your access to the live show or the show in person. So thank you guys. Uh, that being said, I have a very special guest with us, and, and I've known Kevin for quite a while now, and I really enjoy working with Kevin, but I wanted to introduce him and his company. Kevin Grider is with Midwest Fresh Indiana out of Marion, Indiana. How are you doing today, Kevin? Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing great. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself Um how you started your your food and beverage journey, and uh, tell us about your products. Yeah, sure. I'll jump right into it. I um, was actually kind of curious about the Milledgeville show myself, so I'm glad you went over that before we jumped in here. I uh, So I uh, went to culinary school and also went to business school. And I have my culinary certification, uh, hospitality administration, and restaurant management degrees. And, uh, well, I guess to back it up a little bit prior to that, I had a I had an aunt. Oh, I don't remember the exact age now. I was, I think, 16 or 17 when she passed away. But before she passed, she made me kind of promise that, I was going to be a chef or grow up to be a chef. And uh, she was on a real special diet and I would go over there and cook with her every day. And uh, it's just kind of what came of it. So I was in college and I was just taking general classes because like everybody else, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, I just, uh, you know, look back and realize that I told my aunt Becky that I was going to be a chef one day. So I'd switch my kind of switch gears and went into the culinary program and just dove on in. It was something that I was already comfortable with. So the classes were relatively, you know, up my alley, so to speak. 
and everything worked out real well for me. So I did a uh, an internship at a private country club in my hometown of Marion, Indiana, and then I left from there and went to Carmel, Indiana, which is a real nice area of the state. And there's a couple private country clubs. I worked at the place called the Bridgewater Club, which was extremely high end. And I uh, was the sous chef and also the kind of like an event coordinator on the kitchen side for all of the events on the golf course. So they called it an outlet manager, but I, I hired the staff and wrote the menus for the, uh, you know, like the 19th hole, they called it the green jacket and the, the pool cafe menu and the halfway house. And I, uh, scheduled all the beverage carts and handled all of the on course food and beverage for the, fundraiser functions that we would have i was responsible for like the finish line youth foundation and the lids youth foundation and it ended up being anywhere from three to seven million dollars a year in grant money and and uh money that was given to these foundations from some of the members and some of the attendees so it was a pretty cool gig and uh spent a short stint about a year at uh, a hotel in indianapolis called the marriott and left the Marriott and went to Guam. Wow. So that was a huge change. Um, everybody asked me what in the world I was doing. But, yeah. you know, at the time, my sister, I have an older sister. Actually, I have two sisters, one younger and one older. And uh, my older sister graduated high school like co-valedictorian and went to the Naval Academy in Annapolis and uh, went on to fly planes and then went on to fly helicopters and was stationed in Guam. So I was uh, I was actually just going out to visit her for a while because I needed a break. You know, I was working. There was one point in time where I was the sous chef at the country club and also the sous chef at the hotel. And I would work the craziest, longest days. And it just got to the point where I kind of needed a break. And I thought I'd go visit my sister in Guam. Um, it was kind of sporadic, but honestly, it was some of the best time of my life. I loved Guam. It was awesome. Uh, the culture there is amazing. Have you ever been there? I have never been there. No, okay. It's funny because so, people joke around, used to joke around when I was growing uh, growing up that uh, I lived on a farm kind of away from all my friends, where my friends went to school. They were like, oh my gosh, Bizarre, you live so far away, you live in Guam. So like, I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> this place is far away. So no, um, it's a Pacific island. Um, just to give the audience reference, uh, internationally, it's a U.S. territory. That's in the Pacific Ocean. But anyway, go ahead, Kevin. I wanted to let you continue telling your story. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah, Guam is kind of, I don't know where what state you guys are all in, but I'm in Indiana. And if you look on the globe and put your one finger on Indiana and then kind of just put one finger on the exact opposite side of the globe and take a look, and you're probably going to be pointing at Guam. <laughs> So the plane ride, after I got to Hawaii, there was still eight and a half hours of plane ride left. That's, oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It was a very long plane ride. 
And then on the way back, we went, instead of through Hawaii, we went from Guam to Tokyo to Detroit. And that Tokyo to Detroit flight, let me tell you what, it is, I mean, I'm so glad there was movie theater screens in there because I would have <laughs> pulled my hair out. Yeah, those are long flights. Uh, yeah, that's very long. So anyway, at uh, I, I'm... I'm literally in the airport and I'm getting ready to board the plane and I get a phone call from my sister and she says, Hey Kev, I am getting emergency deployed right now. My sister in Guam that I'm going to visit on the other side of the country is not going to be there when I get there. (laughs) And she says, I'm going to have one of my, the locals there are called Chamorros, so she, uh, that's just like slang for their what they refer to themselves as. And so she says, I'm going to have one of my Chamorro friends pick you up from the airport. He's going to have a sign like a limo driver that has your name on it. And he's going to take you back to my apartment and give you my keys and give you my, the keys to my car. And, uh, you know, good luck. so i still laugh about it to myself when i say it because it's so crazy to think that you flew all that way that i flew literally across across the globe um and knew no one when i got there so i ended up meeting some of her friends and it, it was a good time and honestly i was so bored i ended up getting a job over there at uh, the Hyatt, which was, you know, like the nicest hotel on the island. The That's island itself incredible. is kind of crazy. It's third world. And then there's areas of it that are not third world that have been like Americanized. So you'll be out in the country. When I say country, I guess jungle, but it's not that big of a place because you can drive around. You can drive the beach of Guam all the way around the entire island. And keep in mind, the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. And the trip will take you about an hour. Oh, so it's tiny. It's very small, yeah. But there's areas where it's um, there's literally shipping containers of neighborhoods of shipping containers, and people just live out there in those shipping containers. And then you get into, you know, the the downtown district and all of a sudden there's Rolex shops and BMWs and Range Rovers. And it's just kind of mind boggling to see the difference. You know, there's huge complexes on, on one part of the Island and then the rest of the Island doesn't even have running water. So anyway, uh, to jump back into it, I stayed on Guam for about a month and a half, two months maybe, and worked at that hotel and just kind of got tired from not knowing anybody. And uh, I did make some friends, and I did actually go hunting in the jungle with one of her military friends. He wanted to take me in the jungle, so that was an exciting adventure. Um, The fruit was amazing over there. Uh, I really enjoy fruit, so it was. I thought it was awesome just to be able to walk down the road and pick pineapples out of the trees, and and uh, the mangoes were 
I mean, I still dream about how good those mangoes were. I mean, I'm a little bit like there's even a jungle. I mean, <clears throat> my understanding is that the island is like not even 25 miles long. I think it's so. I mean, there's all this different neighborhoods. I mean, I assume there's a lot of tourism there just based on being a U.S. territory in the Pacific, but I'm not sure. And you have the naval base there as well as the ability to hunt. And then there's animals running around. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's one of these places like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it's the Wild West. Like, you could literally go out there and there's no regulations on fishing or hunting or anything like that. There's no DNR. There's no, you know, the, the police on the island is the military police. Um, and there is a decent amount of tourism. Um, it's a lot of Japanese people and it's crazy to go from, you know, the States to a place like that, because over there, the convenience stores, you know, around here we have 40 pound bags of Morton salt and around there they have 40 pound bags of rice Yeah, at, at the gas stations. (laughs) It's incredible. Just pallets of them stacked up. Um, I guess I would like to talk about the poke on the island. Yeah. And, you know, to get back to food, um, that was some of the best poke I've ever had in my life. You could go down to the the wharf or wherever these, you know, the boats are coming in at and uh, buy whatever fish they caught. And then they also would sell pre-made, you know, all they had a, an assortment of different pokes, but uh, they were, they were all awesome. I would, uh, go down and buy buy some and walk the beach. It was a lot of fun. So I I left Guam and came back and ended up opening up a restaurant real close to my hometown. Um, a lot of people know who James Dean is. Yeah. So we opened up a restaurant in the in James Dean's hometown called Grains and Grill and it went over really really well um almost from the from the second we opened to the day that i left there was anywhere from a two to three hour wait and we didn't do reservations so people would kind of just hang out in the parking lot some people would bring coolers and bring beer and just come and put their name in and go back out and sit in the parking lot and drink uh which it reminds me of Pennsylvania, actually, with the the BYOB laws. People would just bring, like, sometimes roll a keg down the street and just sit there and drink it while they were waiting for dinner. Wow. I don't know if we were that – we weren't that far into it. But. <laughs> yeah. I've got to imagine Pennsylvania might have changed that a little bit, but that's what I remember yeah. from college. The good old days. Yeah. So you um, you open up the restaurant and then sort of what were would you do from there? Yeah, well, I guess to get back on that, the uh, you know while I was at the restaurant, people were always buying. They would want you know cocktail sauce or bacon jam is the really popular one. That I'm sure we'll talk about more, but um, 
everything from dressings to the hot sauce that I had and the, the barbecue sauce and the, I, uh, we made a flatbread pizza sauce and, uh, everybody would want to buy that. Like people would come in for dinner and then they would want to buy extra sauce to take home with them. And at first I just told them we didn't have it available. And then so many people had asked that I, uh, started putting it in foam cups and selling it to people. And, and then I had somebody contact me and this person wanted to open up a restaurant in a place North of Fort Wayne. It's a real small town. And, uh, it just offered me a gig, I guess. And he wanted me to come there full time, obviously. But I realized that because I don't know if you're familiar with the, the ins and outs of everyday life as a chef, but it's something that I was trying to not, yeah. I didn't want to work 85 hours a week anymore. I, I just had, you know, I had a son very recently that at the time we were just kind of pregnant, you know, but uh, I knew what was coming and, I also knew that the owners of the current restaurant I was at were always on me about cutting labor costs and, you know, fine tuning everything. So one of my solutions was that I was going to go and help out this other guy that wanted to open up the bar up North and start my, start a product line of all the products, all the sauces that I've created that everybody likes to buy and take home. And I launched my company in July of 2017 as a consulting firm. And I opened up the, uh, the bar up north. And then I came back to my hometown and opened up a brick oven pizzeria. And about the time I opened up the pizzeria was when I was really getting my sauces kind of, I guess, ready to sell. And we could talk about that for a long time, too, because, you know, being a chef, you're used to, a, you know, not necessarily making off of a recipe. Yeah. And uh, when you go to make something with a nutrition label and it has to be exactly the same way every time and has to taste exactly the same way and consistency is a huge deal. And then also finding facilities that are able to make it for you. Um, I never really had any intention of only staying inside my state. So I knew right away I was going to have to go with a place that had some certifications and that was going to be able to uh, put out a decent amount of product. Um, so about the time I was working on the pizza place, my products finally got, to the point to where I was comfortable selling them and I placed orders and, you know, everything was in gallons at first and I changed the menu at the bar that I opened up up North and I wrote the pizza menu to have my pizza sauce on it. And so the bar, which was actually having trouble with the staff getting the recipes right to begin with was really grateful because now they, you know, they had consistent product that was exactly what they wanted it to be. And, they didn't have to bring in, you know, the, the prep cook as early to make that stuff anymore. 
Yeah, I think that's a huge part of restaurants and stuff like that is that consistency and trying to get it right all the time. I'm not a chef, but obviously I'm in the food space, but trying to keep those recipes consistent in the restaurants or things like that and changing a staff is, is always a difficult thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, I, I honestly think there's a fine line between having a menu that is completely not from scratch and then having a menu that was creatively built where you have items you utilize that, that come in somewhat ready to go or are already prepared. And then you make some of your highlighted items from scratch as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best restaurants know how to have a feng shui with that. And, you know, they, that's how they're able to push out a lot of food and that's how they stay busy. Yeah. And I, and I got to tell you, Kevin, on the, and we do a lot of hospital and long-term care uh, feeding as well. And it's the same fine line. There's certain things that we bring in pre-made, but a majority of our stuff is made from scratch, but we have to balance that line on, on the things that we can make, you know, baking is one of those things we bring in. We don't make it from scratch, you know, because to run a bakery and a food production facility is, is too major tasks and allergies and all that so but it is one of those things where you have to balance it to actually get the food to taste well as well i mean people always think hospital food tastes bad i guarantee you if you've had bad hospital food it's because it's all pre-made <laughs> you know so sure. i've had decent hospital food and i've had bad hospital food yeah. so i totally mean yeah so anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just really want to emphasize that point. And I think it's so key, right? It's you want to balance that because of profitability, but you don't want to go so far in one direction that the food is terrible. Right. You don't want to make it so generic that it's that it's not cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I um, after the pizza place opened up. I'm trying to think of where I went next. There was a place in Muncie, Indiana that I wrote the kitchen plan for. And then I came back and, oh, you remember that, uh, that country club that I did my internship at? Absolutely. So it went up for sale. And uh, some people that I know that are actually really good friends of mine, and it's where they have a building where my warehouse is, uh, where I keep all my product. Um, I told them about, you know, the country club going up for sale, and they're entrepreneurs and philanthropists, so they they bought the country club to do kind of do the city a favor because we're the city itself of Marion has not really done that well, and. Uh, we're not really sure what was going to happen to it if somebody didn't buy it and they were gracious enough to do it. So it's been going great for them. And I helped them, you know, rewrite their menu there as well. And, you know, bring in some new kitchen staff and hook them up with some suppliers, uh, so on and so forth. Um, trying to think of the exact date. I, it was February 
February two years ago, I launched my initial retail line. And I say initial retail line because I actually kind of changed things up and relaunched it about a year later. And so my initial retail line had a couple of vinaigrettes in it that I no longer make. And it had a marinara sauce that I no longer make. And uh, I did not have the spicy bacon jam or the the new blackened rub or the bourbon barrel mustard at that time. And I, to be completely honest, I, I tried to do a lot of things myself when I started my company. And it was mainly because I was started, you know, without investors. So yeah. everything from doing my own graphics work to literally anything I could do myself. Yeah, I would bootstrap do yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I wish I could show a picture on this podcast of my original labels because I was really proud of them. But man, they were terrible. <laughs> no, I know that feeling. I've, I've definitely been there. <laughs> where you try so hard you're so proud of yourself you taught yourself how to design a logo and it's just horrendous but you have such pride around it right exactly and it takes some outside looking in for you know one of my friends has to smack me on the back of the head and be <laughs> like hey hey dude that looks horrible <laughs> you had the dose of humility right there all right uh, um so about a year later i ended up relaunching the product line with a new logo, new graphics, new label, new printing company, new artwork company, um, n new marketing company. And man, I don't know where to begin. It took off so well. Um, the bacon jam and the spicy bacon jam are the best sellers by far. My pizza sauce I go through a decent amount of because I have two pizza places, uh, restaurants that, that use it in gallons. Actually, no, I have three. Um, one in Marion, one in Muncie, and one in uh, Westfield, Indiana. So I go through a lot of pizza sauce. Um, the bourbon barrel mustard is starting to catch on and is selling really well now. Um, sometimes, you know, you get orders from distributors and it won't have any cocktail sauce or it won't have any hot wing sauce, but now pretty much every order is having the bourbon barrel mustard on it. And they all, they always have the bacon jam and usually the pizza sauce. Um, so, and I mean, what was the decision? I mean, when did you decide, why, when, I guess, were you making money? Is that why you had enough money then to, to sort of steer the brand in a, in a, I won't say a different direction, but rebrand it um, the way that you did was it because you were having success that you decided to take on that expense. Right. Well, also at the same time, so my first year, even though I didn't have the greatest labels, I still was out selling product and I was consulting, um, opening up restaurants. So the business was making money. And at that point in time, I, talked to a couple of my college friends that ended up becoming kind of investors and, uh, they invest, have invested in a couple other companies. And then also my, you know, good old grandpa came through and, um, we 
established a value for the business and created an, an you know, changed the LLC to a, an S corporation. And I sold 30% of my company to give me the money to get everything going with the new labels and the marketing and the graphics fees and uh, kind of, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, this is one of those scenarios, I think, for you, Kevin, that it's um, it's a smaller percentage that you now own. However, it's a much larger pie because you took that smaller percentage. So the amount of money and profitability and revenue that you've gained by getting a smaller piece of the pie um, is is it doesn't matter because the pie is so much larger now. Right. That's the best way to look at it. You know, a lot of places just have trouble seeing that. And I'm glad now that I was able to see it then because I was, you know, I was actually one of those places that are people that thought that I'd be better off by myself. And truth be told is that they haven't even been that silent of investors. They've been helping me out a lot. They do all kinds of work. And, you know, anytime I need anything, I can call on any of them, which has been great because there's definitely days when I'm out on the road and a truck will show up at the warehouse and I'll have to have somebody run over to the warehouse and, and open it up and, you know, ship them, uh, you know, ship them a pallet or receive a pallet or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been really good. And, I think without without it, I don't know where I would be. I would probably still be struggling to make ends meet because I was able to, you know, the money that they gave me, it was not like they gave it to me. They gave it to, they bought it from the company. So um, the company was then able to go out and pay, you know, like I said, the new graphics and labels and a, a marketing strategy. And uh, I had a, originally created my own website as well. Um, so I had a professional website built, which we're actually working on changing that up right now. Oh, I love and, your guys' website also. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Thanks. I like it too. It's just been, yeah, it's been a little, while since I've changed it and I've had some feedback about my the the video that plays when it first comes up, you know, like the main, the home screen video. I'm trying to put off more of a cause we are a small batch company. We don't make, you know, huge batches of anything and it's we're also a you know, I started this company by actually going and buying product from farmers around this area so i've always kind of wanted to put off that farm fresh feeling yeah um so it's sorry go ahead no no i'm listening and i i love the way that um well obviously we we like your product i've tasted it a few times and but i think the way you've come about it and and grown yourself slowly and had the patience to do it um over time and the success that you've had also in a short amount of time um because you've sort of let the opportunities come to you and present themselves i think it's just really cool kevin and and your products and stuff like that i mean 
I mean, I'm hoping your product line grows because I think you have such great products already um, that it's just kind of cool. I, I, I sort of wonder what's going on inside your head and what the next steps are. Um, we talked about your revamping the website and, and things like that. But I mean, what what is the future that you hope for Midwest Fresh? Well, that's kind of what that the whole image that I was kind of talking about leads into. And the image for Midwest Fresh or the future for Midwest Fresh, that video that played didn't, I got some feedback that it didn't give off that farm fresh small batch feeling. Um, so that's one of the things that we were going to change on the website. And I want that to kind of portray the image that is Midwest fresh. So while we've been growing rather well, I mean, I think the last two years we've grown 50%, um, year after year. So that's been great. And, um, I don't want to come off as a company that's, you know, uh, just a giant food company. There is a small feel when you buy products, not just my brand, but brands like mine that are people that are either in the industry or had a, you know, had grandma's secret sauce and have done really well with it in the industry. And, um, I don't want to lose that feeling. Yeah. And uh, totally understandable. And that's tough because as your business grows, it, people almost naturally, I hate to use this word, but industrialize their business. Um, and, you know, we see it a lot with people we co-pack with as well, or even in the hospitals, you get to a certain size and everyone wants to streamline everything because they had the money, but what they don't realize is it affects the food negatively. You customize less, you get less creative, you start to sterilize things for lack of a better term. And, you know, I think what you're doing in your mission there and your goal is just so key because too many companies go that direction. Um, I see it so often and then, or they get bought by someone who sterilizes it. And, uh, and then those companies sort of drift away. Right. I totally agree. And so, Kevin, I guess, I mean, what are, what are some of the hardest lessons you've learned um, over the last two years with launching your own product line? Oh, gosh. I don't know where to begin with that one. I've wasted. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you right now, I, without even batting an eye, I've literally thrown $40,000 at least out the window with just pointless pointless purchases per you know purchases that i didn't need um i got bad product um oh man i don't even know where to begin um and so i guess in the very beginning i had a really hard time with uh a printing company and i mean a really hard time like i tried to use the local guy at first and they were charging an outrageous amount and this was just local as in like my own, my hometown. Um, they wanted to put a background on my labels that just really made them look weird. And it was kind of like a, 
a piece of slate, if you can imagine, like a, a concrete background. Yeah. Little label. It just didn't look that great, but I let him do it anyway, and it was my own decision, you know. And I bought way too many labels, and after even putting labels on the very first jar, I was like, there's no way that this is, you know, this is not the answer. And, um, meanwhile, while that's going on, the co-packer that I had found out, so I've gone through a couple co-packers and the very first co-packer I had was, he was great for me in the beginning, but then as soon as I started growing, I realized that there was some, you know, issues, you know, like he didn't have a laser coder to print dates on the jar. So every time I needed product made, he would either use labels with dates from you know a couple months ago from the last run or i'd have to get new labels printed a new plate created with the new date on it and have those labels ran and shipped to him and then get on you know the waiting list to have the product made and it just it was just a very frustrating process so meanwhile I'm, uh, you know, trying to find printing companies, the graphics companies that work, that will do what I, you know, not just what I want them to do, but do something good for me that'll help me out and also give me a good price. And I've been through five graphics companies and label printing companies at least. And I used to pay when I first started out, I mean, literally a dollar label. And now I pay... I think three to four cents a label. Yeah. So, you know, there's lessons like that, that you you don't know until you know, and there's no, there's no, you know, there's tons of people out there that have written books about starting businesses, but there's little things like that, that just dollar amounts add up like you would not believe. And, uh, you know, joining groups and organizations that, don't that aren't going to help you because you haven't been established yet on, you know, there's, there's a reason and a time to join groups and be a part of organizations. And that's when you have a little bit of brand awareness already. And you can join those groups and, and have conversations with people and find out good information. However, you know, it's not going to really help you out until you have something in your hand that you can kind of put that information use on yeah Uh, so i you know i've just i've spent so much money on needless things that uh, i look back and it just really frustrates me and i i those lessons are i think are just so important and i gotta tell you kevin i i don't think you're the only one um well actually i know you're not the only one um and in our business you know i i I have a lot of people I mentor with and a lot of people I work with. And right now with everything going on with the coronavirus, it's amazing how many people are coming out of the woodwork to work with us and exposing some of, you know, they're now looking at the numbers. They're not just trying to get a product out the door. They're trying to figure out how to weather the storm. And one of the things I'm absolutely amazed about is as a couple things, how much money people are paying for logos. Like there's things like 99 designs out there that you can pay $299 for a logo. I'm, these people are paying like $10,000 for a logo, which I'm a little bit blown away by, um, you know, $2,000, $10,000. They're also paying these consultants. They have these, 
business food and beverage consultants that a lot of these people have hired that have now come out through Instagram and Facebook and people are paying them, you know, a couple thousand dollars here and there, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month to be a consultant to them. And I'm like, they're giving you this advice or, or whatever it is, the labels being one of them. You know, they didn't catch that a label's a dollar. You know, um, you know, we're in a world where you can print to whatever you need, you know, and you don't need plates and packaging. You're paying $3 for a glass jar, you know, these, but what happens is once you really dive in, it's like amazing. There's a couple of things going on. One is there's a lot of printing companies that overcharge and take advantage of, of people like in my opinion. And I don't think they do it on purpose. I just think that they, um, they see the ability to profit and they're trying to profit and run their business. And there's ways that you can find and people you can find to print better labels. Same with packaging. There's a lot of packaging companies out there. Do your homework, you know, $3 for a glass jar. That's insane. Glass jars are expensive. Don't get me wrong. But like I heard that and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're paying $3 for an eight ounce glass jar. And oh, um, I've got the same story with boxes. Yeah. Just cardboard boxes, you know? Yeah. Same. Yeah, exactly. The packaging and the cases. And um, and then the other part is, is I, I just want to touch on this on the podcast because I'm dealing with it a lot right now. And I'm trying to tell people, you, you know, I got to work with the clients that we have in the pipeline and are onboarding before I get into new clients. But, you know, they're desperate. And one of the things that I really want to encourage people is if you have a consultant out there or you have someone you're working with that claims to be a food and beverage entrepreneur or startup specialist, you really need to dig into their background and ask for credentials because there's so many young 20-somethings out there that are quote-unquote consultants in the food and beverage space that have never actually run a business, let alone a food and beverage business. You know, so I'm like, how they're not going to know the things like that. That's why the you look at the packaging right away. If someone comes to me, I'm like, what are you paying in your packaging? You know, what are you paying in your food? Because those things, people, that's the first thing people get screwed on or lose money on. Because, and if a consultant's not helping you with that piece, because that is the basis of your entire profitability, you know, you can add in labor or whatever, that stuff's pretty consistent. But it's just amazing out there, um, this thing that's going on and, and people and, and relying on these people because they have an Instagram page or they have a website. I really encourage people to do their homework. Or if you're going to lose the money or spend the money, I suggest just learning it yourself. You know, I'm like, I would rather take $10,000 and learn it myself than pay someone who doesn't know anything and blow it for me. And I still have to spend another $10,000 and learn it myself. You know, so if you know some people that are paying 10,000, let me know. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that because I actually, so just recently I kind of not completely, but I, for the most part stopped charging consulting fees because it, it just wasn't what I wanted to, to be. I realized that if I just went into these places and you know, this is kind of different because it's restaurants and not uh, startup businesses. But if I went into these restaurants and just helped them out and gave them some pointers and answered questions and um, chances are they're going to end up using my products and I'm going to get, you know, perpetual sales from that. And 
I think the mindset when I re- when that happened. Now, so I say that, but there is a there's a restaurant that I'm working on opening right now. Actually, that um, even amidst this whole COVID COVID thing, we're gonna try to just be ready for when the epidemic is over with to open and and do a whole launch thing. But now our strategy has changed, and we can get into that here briefly too. But um, yeah, when I when I consulted for for people. You know, once I left, I had charged them this money, you know, and done all this work for, you know, in one place in particular, I had created, you know, they wanted the whole nine yards. So I did the front, the back, the POS system, uh, you know, then input the menu and and the mods into the POS system. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that takes a lot of time. Yeah. And um, then I leave and I get, you know, start getting text messages from the cooks, how the owner wants to change, you know, a recipe. One of them, just for example, was the macaroni and cheese. He wanted to use oil instead of butter. And they couldn't figure out why the macaroni and cheese was separating. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you pour your heart into something and then people will, will change it or not stay true to the system. And it just it didn't feel right for me charging them for that when I could go in and just help them out and let them do it on their own and and get some perpetual sales out of the you know selling them my my uh, food service products. Well, and I think it's an interesting thing, right? And it's part of the reason I started the podcast is because I felt like you know, over the last two years, in particular, a lot of people come and want mentoring and advice and stuff like that, and I don't have the answers, right? Like. I know maybe like a, a 2%, if I'm lucky, of the entire food business between the restaurants and the convenience stores and the markets and the products, you know, and you, we manufacture food and, and we produce food for hospitals. So, yes, I have that pretty well known, but that stuff changes. It's a constant moving target. Regulations change, you know, packaging changes, shelf life tests change, Um the retail stores change their preferences. Grocery stores change their preferences. So you never know. But my point being is that I felt like it, if I don't know, let me put stuff out there so people can learn for free. And it's sort of what you're doing. Like, you know, here's the knowledge. I'm going to help you out, you know, and in re- in return, you know, there I'm doing the right thing, but I also have these products which help stabilize your business, which I think is is exactly what you're doing, um, stabilizing the recipes. And I don't know, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's the world we live in now where education is part of the cell, for lack of a better term, and building the relationship. And so there's so many free resources out there now. Um, and cheap resources for people in the audience that um, that make sense for your business versus paying ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars for a consultant over a year, you know. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast. I'm like, this is just information you can find, or people are willing to share 
for free just to get their the name of their business out there. Why are you paying so much money to someone who ultimately is just taking money out of your business that you could use to grow it and it's not helping you grow and is actually being detrimental to your business, you know? So I'm not saying that that's what you're doing. There's plenty of great consultants out there. Do not get me wrong. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, that's actually, that was actually my point. That's what I, that's why I stopped charging people because it, it just didn't make any sense. Like I felt like taking money from them almost hurt myself because I could show them how to use it and they're going to just buy more stuff from it yeah. and they're going to stay open longer and they're going to be busier and it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And we look at it, it's interesting because, uh, and I really love your point and I'll just, uh, because we look at it the same way on our co-packing side of our business. It's that, why am I going to overcharge you for R&D? Okay, we'll, do we cover the ingredients of the food after a few times? Of course. But we're not going to charge labor. I hear all these people that the, how much money they charge for the first batch and do this and that. And why am I going to do that? I want you to succeed. So I'm not going to take money out of your pocket that you need to go market your business right now. That's so short-sighted. You know, when if you kept the money in your pocket, you can go to marketing and you can go advertising and you can go build your brand and whatever. And then there's more money for everyone, you know. And at the end of the day, I care about creating jobs and doing the right thing by um, our employees. So that means everyone we work with, I've got to encourage their business to grow. And I can't do that by taking money out of their pocket or overcharging them for things. You know, Absolutely. so it it just the short sightedness of business sometimes I think for people is is hard. But you only it's not what we always did. You know, I can't say that it's something that we always did. We just figured it out along the way. Um, what the best thing to do was, you know, and you know, in in hospitals you have such volume that you don't charge for the R and D because there's such high volume there. Um, right. The margins suck, but the there's high volume. And, but so, you know, why not take the same thing and help people grow so there's high volume and there's decent margins, you know, but keep the margins decent and not excessive so that business can grow. If you're charging someone a dollar a label, you know, that's great. But what happens if I can, if they, I charged them four cents, like you said, and they had tens of thousands of labels because they're, they were profiting so much more and growing their business. You know, exactly. So I didn't mean to yeah, get you yeah. off track, Kevin. Oh but... no, you're all right. I don't know what we left off on. I uh, <laughs> I'm staring at these boxes over here that I just got, and I think I'd mentioned it already. But in, I was redoing a uh, grill, like a a barbecue grill pack that has the bacon jam, the barbecue sauce, the molasses barbecue sauce, and the mustard barbecue sauce all in it and uh, kind of selling like a gift pack type thing. Yeah. And I heard, I got box quotes from $4 a box to two, two, one was two twenty a box. And then a, a dollar, it was a dollar and change a box. And I, I went to so many different places and I wasn't trying to get a box that was like one of those new fancy 3D uh, uh, full color, real nice boxes. I just wanted like a brown cardboard box with black ink stamps on it to kind of give it a rustic feel. 
uh, again, trying to follow my brand image, you know, um, and I ended up finding a place in Indianapolis, Indiana. So not too terribly far away. That's doing them for 26 cents a box. So from $4 down to 26 cents a box. That's incredible. I just, um, that whole thing in the casing and cardboard world is just an incredible place also. I mean, I just recently did the same thing and we're just boxing up stuff for a client to go to a retail store. And when we were bringing in the boxes, like you said, I mean, we were anywhere from $3 to 27 cents a box. It was the craziest amount of numbers. And that's why, I mean, you just got to take the time to do your homework, but And I really, and ours was just a case. It was just a standard, like, 10 by 10 by 12 box. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, And even the 27 cents, I'm like, gosh, that's a little bit high. Let me go look at what we're looking at. And I know things are a little bit difficult right now. But, you know, and people are trying to keep their doors open. But, you know, I know that, you know, $3 a box, like, I know what you're doing. You think that you know that everyone else is trying to look for boxes in desperate times and you're you're all of a sudden quoting me almost twice what you did last time even though I didn't buy from you last time because it was too high now you just doubled the quote on me so uh, it's an interesting thing um so Kevin uh what are the fa- the things you like the most about being in this space in the in the food and entrepreneur food and beverage entrepreneur space i mean what are some of the things that you really look forward to every day I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, you know, I, it's a, it's been a part of what I do ever since, you know, referencing back again, my original story, how I started, uh, every time I do something like this or launch a new product or get a, a, a new deal with a retailer, I just know that, you know, my Aunt Becky helped me get there. and It's real satisfying to uh, get that uh, sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I like that. And so, I mean, what if, if anything, I mean, we sort of talked about some of the lessons and hardships, um, but as we wrap up the episode, Kevin, I mean, is there anything that you feel that you could pass on to the audience that would help them in the future if they're getting into the food and beverage entrepreneur space or anything that you learn that you feel would be really valuable to them? No, there's so many things. <laughs> I um, I would say that, uh, you know, if anybody cares to you're more than welcome to to shoot me an email you can contact me on my website um it's mwfresh.com and i'd love to uh answer any questions that you might have and i'd say that um probably one of the biggest things is to get a couple quotes no matter what you're doing because You'll, it's too easy to walk into a place and make them feel and then make you feel warm and fuzzy, you know, like labels for a dollar. And 
end up not knowing that they're actually only four cents down the street. Yeah. So that would be a big one. Definitely um, getting a couple quotes on everything that you do. And nowadays, I feel like as far as strategy goes, there. you know, when I first started my company, things were slightly different, even though it was just a couple years ago, because while, I mean, the world was still focused on social media, but a couple years ago, there was still other avenues of kind of getting your business out there. And in today's world, social media is the platform that everybody is on and everybody uses. And the best way to kind of start building a brand is to hammer social media. And it's something that I'm actually kind of going back on and trying to start start now yeah. uh, because I didn't think it was quite as important in the beginning. I was more focused on just having these cool products and I have these jars and, and it was selling decent enough and I just didn't put the time into it. You know, if I started posting pictures on Instagram when I first started my company instead of just, you know, a few months ago, I can't imagine where I would be at now because I know that I get a lot of orders online orders through social media and then following links to the website or to Etsy and, and um, especially in times like right now with this whole COVID thing going on um, while my food service sales have obviously plummeted um, my online sales have picked up and the retail sales are going okay. You know, the retail stores are getting hammered everywhere. So I'm glad that I uh, am in good spots in these retail stores. And I'm glad that I started the uh, the whole online presence thing when I did. I wish I would have done it sooner, but I would definitely, uh, you know, you, you never know what you're going to need to be ready for. Yeah. And I guess hammering it from every angle, irons in the fire burning at all times um, and you don't fail until you quit. Yeah. It ain't over till it's over. And if it ain't, and if, if it ain't good, it ain't over. So, right. Um, I think that's, I think that might be the best advice actually is that, you know, it might be tough, but as long as you don't quit, you haven't failed. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. I love that. It's so true, Kevin, what you just said. And um, I think too many people fail before they've, they've got to the finish line or, and because they gave up. And the reality is, is there's no overnight success. There's no overnight booming business. There's no overnight, you don't raise a child overnight. You know, you don't, you know, you can't accomplish a business overnight. You can't build um a business in a few days or a year or two years you you know it takes a lifetime of experience to even start a business to get it where it is and then as a business you just continue to grow it and put time into it to get it to grow and the time is necessary you know and the lessons are necessary uh without them 
you know, you don't learn how to pivot or, or grow or what your audience actually needs or during times like this, you aren't set up to, to succeed. And for, for you going into the online space and what's going on now, it's sort of an avenue for your business to keep moving forward. Absolutely. So thank you, Kevin, so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, I look forward to having you back on in a few weeks. We can have another conversation. Hopefully when all this COVID stuff is done and we're out of the pandemic, we can hop back on and do a part two because I think just so much of your insight and where you are and where your business is. I'd love to continue talking about it over another episode. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to be on again. Yeah, because I'd like to, you know, we dive into some of your consulting experiences and stories and stuff like that, because I think that would help the uh, audience as well, just knowing what that's like to go into a business and some of the things you've seen and, and, and helped people with, I think is really cool. And I'd love to talk about your new restaurant concept um, on another episode as well, if that works for you. Yeah, perfect. We can talk about restaurants on one and, and uh, finish up the, uh, you know, the, the whole retail gig on another one. Awesome. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and, and stay safe out there. And if, if you like what we're talking about on the podcast, please share this episode. Um, please tell your friends and family, anyone who's in the food and entrepreneur space out there that's suffering, uh, they are not alone. We are all going through it in the food and beverage world. We're trying to figure it out. Sales are down across the board. And so, you know, take a listen. Uh, see what everyone else is doing, see how everyone else is weathering the storm, and know that you're not alone.